So just being really intentional about connection with our kids. We want to keep kids in our in classrooms as much as possible. So I'd really challenge teachers this year to think about those discipline situations and understand that behavior is communication. It's not just defiance or insubordination. Um, those behaviors are communicating something um, and it's not always personal. So how do we think about what these kids need, what they're feeling, what's going on in their world that's causing them to think that this is the best way to get their need met? Hi there, I'm Jason Roach, and thanks for joining us on the ACE Pod, a production of the Association of Clovis Educators. I think we can all agree that the last 18 months have been challenging for all of us, and there's no doubt we're all excited to get back to something that approximates normalcy. Uh, but I think most of us are, uh, are also acutely aware that the pandemic is far from over, and there are no doubt more challenges ahead. So we thought for our first episode this year, we would invite a couple of our school psychologists to talk about mental health, about taking care of ourselves, taking care of each other, and taking care of our students. So we are, we're lucky to be joined by two amazing veterans of the district, Jade Edwards and Melissa Saunders. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation, and I think you're going to take away a lot of uh, really practical ideas. So, Jade and Melissa, welcome to the Ace Pod. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, of course. So, uh, yeah, Jade, let's start with you. And will you just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? You know, how you got to Clovis, what you do in Clovis, what you love working what you love about working in Clovis? I um, grew up in Clovis Unified and actually graduated from Clovis High School. And um, I did my internship in Clovis as a school psychologist, worked in another district for a few years, and then came back. And I've been here for about nine years. And I am also a behavior analyst. And I support our schools that are interested in implementing a positive behavior framework, such as PBIS or MTSS to support social, emotional, and behavior needs for kids across the district. Okay, so can you talk about uh, PBIS and MTSS? Just, you know, real briefly, <laughs> I know that's probably unfair, but can, you know, just explain. Do you want me to say, do you want me to start, answer the question over again, or do you want me to just no, no, add on to that? No, just, yeah, just, no, I'm, we're, we're still going here, we're just taping oh, okay. it, just, yeah, yeah, just add a little texture to what PBIS and MTSS might mean. Just. So PBIS is Positive Behavior Interventions and Supports, and it's been around for about 20 years, and it's practiced all over the globe. Um, and what it is, it's really a tiered behavior framework to support the behavior needs of kids um, at every level of intervention. And um, MTSS is very similar, but I focus on the social, emotional, and behavior side of that, which really says, what do all kids need to be successful with their social, emotional, and behavior health? What do some kids need to be successful? And what do individual kids need to be successful? So we really set up um, a school to be able to kind of triage, identify, use data to determine what kids may need more or less support and matching them with a the support that's going to provide meaningful outcomes. Perfect, that was great, thank you. And do you, uh, like the age of kids that you work with, do you work with all 
Yeah, all of our preschool systems actually have um, positive behavior intervention and support systems in place, and it can go all the way up through high school. Hmm. All right. All right. Thank you, Jade. Uh, Okay, Melissa, same uh, question to you. Uh, You know, how'd you get here? You know, go ahead. I get here. So this is my 20th, actually 21st year with the district. I started in 2000, right out of grad school. Um, I was recruited, so to speak, by Clovis Unified. I did my internship in a neighboring district and was approached by someone from special ed um, through Clovis Unified asking if I wanted to come work here. And at the time I thought, I don't know, do I? I don't know anything about the district. Um, And here, 21 years later, I haven't left. So obviously I'm very happy with what's going on and and with how... um, you know, with, with what it is that I'm doing. So I am a school psychologist. I'm a credential school psychologist, but I am now working as a mental health support provider at the Reagan Educational Center for 7 through 12. Um, so I have both Rayburn and Clovis East and um, get to work to meet the mental health support, um, the mental health needs of students um, on both of those campuses. So you, you would just work one-on-one with, with individual students? I work one-on-one. I've run um, several um, several CSI groups. Um, I kind of get to do um, whatever it is that'll meet a student's need. I've, I've met with students and their parents. I've met with students and teachers. Um, you know, it, it really just depends on the situation and, and the needs, and um, I just kind of go from there. All right, Melissa, you dropped a, an acronym as well. What What's CSI? <laughs> CSI is our, you're right, Clovis Supports... Um, Clovis Support and Intervention Program, and that is our student support groups that are facilitated by CSI-trained staff members. And so over the past um, year and a half at, at um, the Reagan Center, I've had the opportunity to run CSI groups with some of our teachers. Um, again, it, it's a small group of 8 to 10 to 12 students um, who meet, we meet weekly, um, and it just gives the students an opportunity to talk about what's going on, we have some activities which teach them how to um, really teach them how to deal with um, things in life that are thrown at us. All right, perfect. So real quick, uh, Jade is a, a Clovis product. Where where did you grow up, Melissa? I, I am not a Clovis product. I actually grew up um, out in Kerman which is out on the west side of um, the west side of the valley, kind of an ag land. So if you head, if you head west from, um, from Fresno, um, if, you, if you drive past all of the vineyards and orchards and everything over on, um, everything over west of 99 and keep going for about 15, 20 minutes, you'll run into Kerman um, before you hit Mendota and all of these other little farming communities. So um, yeah, I grew up out in ag land and, um, I, I'm a Valley native, um, Valley product. I went to Fresno state after, um, I graduated from Kerman high. So I, I know the area. Um, like I said, it was just Clovis that I wasn't, um, super familiar with because, um, I'm a country girl. <laughs> All right. So, uh, and then you mentioned grad school. Did you do grad school at, at Fresno state as well? I did. Um, I did my undergraduate work at Fresno State and then just rolled right into the graduate program um, there at Fresno State in school psychology and um, just finished it all and, and started working for Clovis. All right. All right. Jay, did you uh, mention your, your, your college experience? 
I got my um, graduate degree in psychology from Fresno Pacific University, and I actually have recently been a professor there as well, teaching future school psychologists. Oh, very nice. All right, very cool. Okay, yeah. so, yeah, let's get into this now, just uh, to be fully honest here. <laughs> I'm not going to be uh, much assistance in this conversation, so we're, um, you know, we're, we're glad that Jade and Melissa are here. <laughs> Um, you know, given kind of the complex circumstances uh, that this kind of return to, to school uh, is situated under, we just thought it might have a, uh, might be a nice time to bring in some, you know, some folks that can talk about uh, mental health and self-care and taking care of our students and our community and then ourselves as well as educators. So, Jade, will you kind of lead us off and, and, you know, there's a lot going on, a lot of kind of external circumstances that we can't necessarily control. Um, you know, what are some, some things that it, students and families and educators can, can do to kind of manage their, their emotional well-being? And if you want, let's just let's start with, with, with staff, with educators. Yeah, this is, like you said, a very unique year, unprecedented. So there's nothing that we can do to kind of compare and say, oh, well, I did this in this situation and it's going to work here. So it really is important, I think, more than anything to give yourself grace um, with the day-to-day functioning um, to really go out of the box with your own self-awareness. So if you're used to being able to handle high stress situations, but you're struggling right now, that doesn't mean anything's wrong with you. It doesn't mean you're failing. It doesn't mean you're broken. It means that you're a normal human being dealing with unique stress that's placed on you. And I know as like a high achieving personality, that's been something I've really had to grow in over this last year is just managing my own thoughts and expectations of myself. If I am tired more often than normal, um, if I'm having a harder time getting motivated, that doesn't mean that I'm not doing a good enough job or that something's wrong. It just is, it's a cue that my body is telling me, pay attention to your well-being. And so I think one of the biggest and most proactive things that we can do is really coming into like a, an awareness of how we're feeling, listening to those signals that our body is telling us about how well we're functioning and what it needs. Um, and if you're feeling tired and you're able to rest, then do that. Um, if you're feeling overwhelmed and you need a break, then take it if you can. Um, and if you can't do that during a day, then set up some safe spaces during, um, in fact, you can't do that during your work day. Set up some safe places during your whole day um, or your during your week to really be able to give yourself space to uh, decompress, to release a lot of that stress, to process what's going on, what you're feeling, um, and and really press into that and not try to stuff it down because that's when we get, I, I use this analogy with kids a lot. A lot of the times we take negative feelings and we try to shove it under the surface, almost like holding an inflatable ball under water. And eventually we can't do that anymore. And the ball comes up and bursts up out of the water with a lot of energy. If we don't manage our own emotional well-being, then we risk having that emotional outpour come out in a way that um, we can't control as well or as he in healthy ways, and it may impact others in a way that we don't want. So setting boundaries for yourself as an educator this year will be really helpful. Maybe it means that you don't check your email after a certain time in the evening. Um, it could be that you put your phone on airplane mode. <laughs> Maybe that's <laughs> the only way you can do it to where you're not checking in all the time and wondering what's going on. Um, 
but really saying maybe from between 7 and 9 p.m., I'm going to put my phone away. I'm going to be present with my family or with with people that care about me or even just myself. And I'm going to engage in healthy practice like maybe doing yoga or journaling or painting or maybe you just need to watch mindless television because you made a thousand decisions that day. But whatever it is, just checking in with yourself and making sure you have space to kind of detach a little bit. Okay, so setting boundaries is actually one of my, you know, kind of goals is to be better at that. And one of the things that, and like this is kind of maybe out of out of the blue here, but one of the things that I I have trouble with is saying no to people. Do you mm-hmm. have any, any, you know, kind of advice for staff on ways to manage that kind of, you know, re, that kind of relational uh, kind of situation where you have to tell somebody that you have, that you care about, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, And I'm one that doesn't like saying no either. And it's not because I want to let somebody down. It's because I want to do everything. (laughs) I want to feel like I am capable of taking it all on. Um, And so really one of the things that I found helpful for me personally um, is finding an accountability partner in that and saying, just so you know, this year, I'm going to try to be more intentional with managing my time. Can you help me with that and help me keep a, stay accountable to that? Because then somebody else is saying, hey, how are you doing with saying no? <laughs> and if I'm like, oh, I'm doing bad at it. Now somebody, I'm let it, it's almost like it, it makes you, it forces you to be aware of it and almost sets the goal in a new direction that I'm going to be better about saying no so that when my accountability partner checks in on me, that they, I can have something positive to report in that way. Um, so for me, having somebody, having people that I trust that know me, look out for me in that is really helpful. Um, and the other thing is just how you frame it. So rather than just saying, no, I can't do that, say, you know what, that sounds like something I'd really, um, that's really valuable. I'm having a hard time not wanting to take that on, but I'm really trying to care for myself right now. And I don't feel like this is the best. I'm not going to be able to give this my best if I take it on right now. And then you can also point to other resources. I wonder if so-and-so would be willing to take that on, or I heard somebody else talk about that. Maybe we can check in with them. So sometimes it's the way we say the no that helps people be able to, you know, support us in that decision. Yeah. I love that. Go ahead, Melissa. Yeah. I, I, I love, I love that. I think for me, um, honesty is the best policy. And like Jade said, I I think if I can't do something 125%, um, then I, I can't do it. And so, you know, for me, sometimes I, I will just be really honest with people and say, I'm, I am overwhelmed right now. I'm really overwhelmed. And I, I, part of that is because I think just saying those words helps me, um, and helps my own well-being and my own mental health to, to, to be okay with not being okay. Um, and, and to acknowledge that I am overwhelmed and, and to be able to say, I, I just can't, I can't take on another thing right now. I'm sorry. If it were, you know, maybe two weeks from now and things were different, um, maybe I could, but right now, um, I just can't do it. And I, I think that's important. I, I talk with students about that as well. Um, and really talking with teachers about, you know, letting, working with their teachers when they're feeling overwhelmed as well. Because again, um, as, as Jade said, having grace um, is so important right now for, for everybody, for staff, for students, for parents. Um, and I want students to know that, that we care about them too. And, and that they're, if they're feeling, um, if they're feeling overwhelmed, if they're feeling like they can't take on 
um, one more thing that it's important to to vocalize that. All right, great. Yeah, I, li- I love that for for so many reasons. And Jade, you brought up right where we, you know, as a group, we're we're high achieving folks, right? We want to, you know, we feel like that we can do, you know, we can do everything. But um, and then Melissa, I really like the kind of verbalizing out loud makes you acknowledge it, right? And I, I would just like that self-acknowledgement that, hey, I'm, I'm overwhelmed right now. And just you know, somehow saying it out loud kind of just makes it more real. Um, yeah. And then I also like the idea of, you know, I can pick somebody to always like push it off on. Like go, you know, <laughs> go ask Eric if, if he can do it. Or I could just say the same person over and over again. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, uh, so, you know, Jade, if... You know, so kind of those were some ways that staff can kind of um, manage their emotional well-being. What are, you know, kind of, can you talk about parent role in, in, in this? What are some ways in which they can kind of um, navigate their own emotional well-being and or the um, well-being of, of, of their kids? Yes. Um, I think one of the things that we don't give kids enough credit for is how much they pick up on um, the feelings and the vibe, I guess, that's going on around them. Even with really, really young kids that don't even have the verbal skills yet, one, two-year-old, if mom and dad are yelling at each other, um, they can pick up on something's not right in my environment. I don't feel totally safe right now. And they can articulate why, but they can feel, they can sense that emotional energy. And so I think as, um, as adults, sometimes we forget that the conversations that we're having while our kids are in the room, even if it's, you know, um, the, the grownups are talking and we're saying, yeah, I just can't believe this latest policy. And it's just, it's so annoying. And like, I'm just really struggling at work right now because it's just so, you know, it's so toxic or it's so negative or everybody's telling me what to do. The more we're vocalizing that in the room with our kids, they're picking up on that. I shouldn't, I'm not, I shouldn't feel safe in my environment. Um, I shouldn't feel happy when I'm at school. It's almost like sends these signals that they are not even conscious, consciously aware that they are receiving. And so I think it's really important as an adult, not that you don't hide, not that you pretend everything's perfect in front of your kids, but that if you're going to talk about it, you talk about it intentionally and mindfully. Um, and that's really important, um, about just modeling that, you know what, some of these things are really a struggle for me. I'm frustrated with some of the changes that are going on and how it's affecting my, you know, my ability to do my job or what it's like for you to go to school, but I'm going to really try to do my best to be positive (laughs) and to look for that. So even if you are talking about that struggle and the frustration, at least you're doing it meaningfully and not just talking sarcastically or cynically with a friend or a significant other while your kid's in the room and it just looks like they're on their phone or watching TV, but they're picking up on that. So I think honestly, the best thing that parents can do is pay attention to your own thoughts, to your own feelings, to your own behaviors, because a lot of those things just get, they change the atmosphere in the room and kids pick up on that, even if they can't articulate what that's making them feel or why. Okay. So is it fair to say that it's not about avoiding kind of the realities, it's about the ways in which you frame it in front of, in front of the kids? Is that Absolutely. Yeah. You never want to pretend that everything's okay. Cause that's not teaching coping skills. That's not te- teaching regulation and, and coping skills is something that we have to intentionally teach our kids because it's not something you just learn 
by like being alive. So it's really important that you're modeling what that looks like inside as a parent and hopefully in a healthy way. But this is how I'm dealing with the stress. And this is what it looks like to be, uh, to deal with stress in a healthy way. This is what mom's doing. This is what I'm, dad's doing. This is what I'm, this is what we're doing to care for ourselves and, you know, and whatnot. But yeah, yeah, avoiding it or just pretending everything's rosy isn't helping anything either, especially when it's very obvious that things are stressful. And when our kids are also seeing on the news or social media, they're seeing that the world is, is on edge right now. And so they're looking to the grownups to, to learn how do I deal with this? And we got to be really careful about knowing that they're they're listening to the conversations we're having in the car they're um listening to our tone um they maybe they're even reading our posts on facebook about how we're talking about these situations and all of that is shaping their own coping skills their own regulation their own feelings about themselves and whether they feel empowered to handle this change whether they feel resilient against this opposition or whether they feel like victims in the middle of all of this all right okay so so melissa um Speaking of coping skills, how am I going to help my son cope with the fact that he can no longer stay up till, you know, uh, 1 a.m. And, and play video games all the time? He can't. Um, he can't? <laughs> no, I, yeah, no, I, I get it. Having two teenagers, yes. Um, so again, you know, I think that's the hard part. And it, it's something that as parents and as educators, we deal with at the end of every summer is getting you know, getting ourselves, getting our kids back into those routines um, and rebuilding those those bedtime routines and, and making sure that, okay, school is going to start. And not not starting the day before school starts, right? We don't start on the Sunday, um, the Sunday before school starts. Um, we start maybe a week, two weeks out. And, okay, you know, this week we're, we're cutting it down. The video games were... You know, we're going back to the school schedule of you get video games for an hour after you're done with homework or, you know, whatever that looks like. And then the same thing with bedtime. Um, bedtime is, you know, and, and again, maybe with that, too, you can gradually um, gradually work it down. So if, if right now there is no bedtime, you can work it to maybe nine um, and then down to eight or whatever time is, is reasonable given the age of, of your student. Um, but I think that's, that is super important, um, for a student's social, emotional, mental, and academic health when they return to school is, is having those structures, having those routines in place at home. So when they get to school on Monday morning and the teacher has structures and routines and there's a schedule up on the board, they're not looking at that like, um, no, that's not how things work. I just get to do whatever I want whenever I want to do it, um, so, yeah, I think that's a great way that, that parents can start at home um, before school starts to get their kids ready for, um, for those structures and routines at school. Okay, so, you know, transitioning to the students themselves, right? So, you know, right. many, many of our students um, are going to be back on campus for the first time in uh, yeah. a, a long know, time. A long time, yeah. So. Yeah. What are, you know, what are some, you know, things that they can do themselves uh, to manage their emotional well-being? Yeah, I, you know, and with students, I, I think it really starts with, with them establishing those healthy habits. Um, I think like Jade said, I've, I started when my kids were, were really young um, and they didn't necessarily like the early bedtime, especially over the summer. 
Um, but I had those conversations with them that, you know, you need sleep. Your body needs rest. Your body needs sleep. Um, otherwise you get sick and you're unhealthy and you don't feel good and you get grouchy during the day and nobody wants a grouchy, nobody wants a grouchy person. So, you know, reminding kids and even with the high school, the secondary students that I work with, um, reminding them of those healthy habits, getting enough rest, you know, going to bed at a reasonable hour, making sure that they get enough rest, um, putting their phone somewhere else. Phones are a huge distraction. And I'm always concerned when I hear students are up until two in the morning because their phone is in their room on their nightstand and they hear it buzz or they, you know, they know that they're getting an alert on social media. Um, so maybe it's putting your phone in and that's what I do with my own kids. The phones stay in the kitchen overnight to charge. Um, so it's not a distraction in their bedroom. Um, exercise, exercise is super, super important for everybody. Um, I don't tell kids, you know, I wouldn't tell anybody go out and run a marathon so that you feel better. A a walk, a simple walk in the evening once the sun goes down and it's a little bit cooler, um, getting fresh air. Um, all of those healthy habits that we can, making sure that you're eating regularly um, for teenage girls and, and for our female students in general, that's a huge issue sometimes is making sure that they, they're eating regularly, drinking enough water um, so that they're staying healthy physically. Um, because again, I, you know, I can't emphasize enough how much your physical health impacts your, your social, emotional, and your mental health. So yeah. In addition, I guess, to the, um, to the healthy habits, I also, you know, remind students to, to work with their natural resources and, and to look for those natural supports within their environment. Um, I always hope it's parents um, or family that they can go to, maybe siblings that they can talk to when they're feeling stressed or anxious or worried, um, talking to their parents about what's going on and, and um, having parents work with them as well. Um, for some of our students, especially, you know, at the elementary level, but even at the secondary level with students who are in AP classes, they form attachments with teachers that they see regularly. Um, and, you know, being able to, to just talk to a teacher to be able to say, I am sh- like, I am so overwhelmed right now. I don't even know what to do. Um, and having a teacher who will sit and listen and say, it's okay. It happens. What, you know, what can we do? How can I help you? What can we focus on? What do you, what do you need from me? Um, you know, finding those. And obviously for our teenagers, especially, um, you know, one of their biggest natural support systems is, is through their friendships, through their peers and, and being able to, to talk to their peers. Um, you know, that was one of the things I had talked about earlier with CSI, with Clovis Support and Intervention, with our um, CSI groups. Um, It is so empowering for students to sit in with the group of their peers and to hear another peer say, oh my gosh, yeah, I I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, I am so stressed out right now too. Or, you know, I I hear my parents fighting all the time. And that validation is so important for all, all of our students and for even us as adults to know that we are not the only ones struggling with things and that there are other people who feel the same way and we're not alone in any situation. Um, that is probably one of my favorite parts of CSI groups is that that realization and having, you know, it's like that aha moment for students in group where they're like, oh my gosh, I, it's not just me. She feels the same way or he, he's dealing with this too. 
Um, it's so neat to see that. Okay. Um, so, you know, we, we have these kind of three different groups, educators, parents, and students, and um, we have supports, right, for, for all these groups. Where, where can these folks find help when they need it? Other than you, you talked about CIS or CSI, sorry. Um, what other supports are available? Um, CSI is available at, at almost all of our sites, including our elementary sites. There are CSI, um, CSI groups that are run. Um, at the secondary level, our, our students also have access to peer counselors. Um, like I said, which is great too. Peer counselors work individually, one-on-one -on -one with students. Um, and again, you know, similar to CSI, only, only it's individual. Um, it's that validation. It's just having someone listen to you and say, it, you know, it's okay. It's okay that you feel that way. Um, you know, they are peer counselors don't give advice. They're not actual counselors per se, but for students to just be able for any of us to just be able to get things off of our chest, you know, we know even as adults that when we have a bad day, I, you know, the first thing I do when I come through the door is I, you know, I just want to tell my husband, I, I can't believe how bad it was. Same thing with our students. Um, you know, they just want somebody to listen to them sometimes. Um, you know, they don't, they don't want somebody to solve their problems. They don't need somebody to solve their problems because then, as Jade said, they don't learn those coping mechanisms on their own and those problem solving skills. But to have someone listen is so, so valuable and so important. Um, so, yeah, and again, at all of our sites, there is support available. And, you know, there's school psychologists assigned to all of our sites. We have transition support for students as well. Um, I would really encourage teachers, you know, who maybe don't, um, don't know their site staff as, as, well, as, um, as well as they might. Um, to, to look into those supports, you know, before students return. So that way, if they do see students who are struggling, they know what's available on their campus. Um, I do that as a parent. Um, I check the websites, site websites every year, right, to see who, um, who teachers are, what programs are available on campus. Um, so I would encourage students, um, students, teachers, and parents um, to utilize those site websites and find out what what programs, what services are available on their campuses. And that way they're able to reach out early um, and intervene proactively rather than waiting until things get to a boiling point, as Jade said, and that that ball just shoots up from from underwater. Um, yeah, so getting a, a student to the point where, you know, they commit to come like talk to you, right? How do you know, it does seem like in kind of in, our, in the culture, like we are destigmatizing right mental health, and it's so much uh, more okay to have that conversation, right? You know, kind yeah. of the recent conversation about Simone Biles was was I think an important conversation, and um, you know, kind of uh, a wake up call for a lot of a lot of folks. Um, so you know. It, do you have any, and Jade, you can chime in here as well, any thoughts of how to get kind of kids over that hurdle, right, that, hey, like it is, as you said, Melissa, earlier, like, you know, we all sometimes just need, you know, someone to talk to, right? How to, yeah. Uh, absolutely. And I think you, you know, bringing up Simone Biles, I think that was a great 
Um, I think that's a great example, especially for our females um, to empower them, to let them know, yeah, it's, it's okay to take care of yourself and, and to put yourself first sometimes. Um, you know, I think as, as I think for staff, um, I think staff do a great job with that again, because sometimes teachers are the, that, um, that first responder to students and, and they're the first one to hear those concerns. And if staff, if teachers can say, oh, well, you know, there's a really, really nice, um, there's a really, really nice woman over in, you know, this office at, at you know, over by the cafeteria. Um, with our elementary students and, and encouraging them or at the secondary level saying, hey, you know, we have we have people on campus um, who would be happy to talk with you and listen to you. And, and if that's something that you're comfortable with, I'm I'm happy to walk you to their office or I can call and, and see when when they can meet with you. Um, with our, our secondary students, you know, peers, a lot of peer referrals. I will get students who come in to tell me that they're worried about their friend for whatever reason. And when I asked you, will your friend come in? Well, no, but I can bring her, I'll bring her by. Um, and if they have someone, if they have someone that they're comfortable with, if they have a natural support that, you know, that, that will help and, and work with them and say, Hey, you should really go talk to someone. I think that that goes a long, long way with our students. Um, to help them with that comfort level, because I, you know, it's scary for any of us to go in and talk to somebody that we don't know, right? None of us want to do that. And so, you know, for our students, I think if they have someone, um, if they have someone who can support them through that, um, I I think that's great for them. Do you think? The other thing, oh, sorry. (laughs) The other thing I would just add is the more we talk about something, the less um, scary or ambiguous or whatever it becomes. Um, There's a lot of things that we've learned about over this last year, words and terminology that I've had to explore, like privilege and social justice and understanding some of these terms. But because they're talked about so prevalently, you're becoming aware of them, you're accessing it, you're researching it, you're trying to understand it. And I think just increasing awareness makes something less foreign, less strange, less unknown, and that's helpful, and that's part of the process, too. And that's what we really try to do even with our tiered support systems is making sure that at a certain level, every single kid on these campuses is getting some type of instruction on how it is to feel. (laughs) What are the different things we can feel? How do we interact with other people? Um, How do we talk about what's going on and, and, and adequate coping skills too. So I think talking about it on a regular basis um, is better than just having one assembly once a year where we kind of focus in on it, or we talk about it after it's too late and the student has, you know, made a a life with life ending decision. So uh, prevention is really key when it comes to mental health. Okay. So I well, I want to come back to that. Um, But real quick. So you know, as kind of a teacher, like that first responder you talked about, Melissa, you know, I, I have a conversation with a student and I'm like, hey, I really think you should, you know, go talk to Mrs. Saunders and they're kind of really reticent. Um, you know, should I, you know, as a teacher, should I come to you and say, hey, I really think this student um, or should I wait for some sort of like consent from that student before I do that? Um, how do I kind of negotiate that sort of, that sort of space? Yeah, that, that's a tough one. And that's, you know, that's where your professional judgment, um, where you'll, you'll want to use your professional judgment. If you have, if, 
you know, as Jade said, if, if you have a student who you think maybe it's a life and death situation where you think the student is suicidal, then no, I, I wouldn't definitely don't wait. Right. That's, that's, um, that concern takes precedent and regardless of, of the student's feelings that needs to be addressed. Um, if it's another issue where, you know, you can tell the student, you've watched the student kind of escalate um, over a, over the course of a few weeks and, you know, then all of a sudden they're talking to you about what's going on and why it is that they're escalating. Um, you know, maybe that's something that you can continue to work with the student about and, and continue talking with them and, and saying, okay, you know, how can I help? What can I do? And, you know, maybe, maybe there are things that you can help them with as an educator, maybe, you know, helping with organizational skills or helping them prioritize assignments if they have a lot of missing assignments. I know that's a big stressor for our secondary students when they fall behind and, and feel overwhelmed because they need to catch up. Um, but I think then you get to a certain point. Um, what I've noticed with teachers is they feel like they get to a certain point to where, again, they, they don't know what to do. And I, and again, Honesty is the best policy with students. Um, if you can tell them, I, I really want to help you, but I, I don't know what to do or say anymore. I really think you should consider talking to someone, you know, someone who knows maybe a little bit more than I do or, or is more um, someone who works with mental health issues um, because that's not my area of expertise. Um, but then kids, you know, I, kids really appreciate that honesty. Kids, kids appreciate teachers showing that vulnerability and saying like, dude, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know what to do with that anymore. Let's, you know, I think maybe you need some more, you know, some, some, some more support and I want to help you get that. Um, you know, I, so yeah, it really comes down to using, using your best judgment in terms of what you think a student needs. I think if you have good relationship with the student too, if you want to walk down there, like say, Hey, I'll walk down there with you and we can just meet mm -hmm. this person. Um, and then also the other thing that's important to kids is that it's a safe place. That's confidential. Every mm -hmm. time that I talk to a kid and say, just so you know, what's special about my relationship with you is that everything that we talk about is a secret that stays in this room unless I feel like you or somebody else is in danger but we'll have a conversation if something like that pops up but other than that I'm not going to talk to your mom about this or your dad about this I'm not going to tell the principal what you say this is really a safe place for you and I to talk about things that maybe you don't feel comfortable talking to somebody else with because you don't trust them to keep that that secret. And so a lot of the times just having knowing those parameters exist, because really we're, we're the only place on a campus that is bound by confidentiality. Everybody else can say anything to anybody and there's no law against it, but we are bound by law of keeping these things confidential as long as there's no health or safety risk um, mm -hmm. to involved in that conversation of what's disclosed. So that I feel like students usually really like that. Okay, so you know, it, it seems like what we're we're talking about here, right, is you know, building a place, a, a school or a system that's emotionally safe for young people, right? So, you know, what support, uh, what what types of supports, Jay, do you know, kind of schools need to create to to help support kids in that way? 
Yeah, I think um, really I'm a systems thinker. <laughs> as much as we can put systems in place, because it comes down to prevention. Um, I use this analogy a lot when it comes to preventative systems. We don't wait for the heart attack to happen to then decide to change our diet and eat healthier. We eat healthy to avoid the heart attack altogether. And so I think a lot of the times we're so concerned with the day-to-day and what needs to get done now that um, as long as there, like no news is good news and we can, we can trick ourselves into thinking that that's okay. But really we need to set up a system that allows us to be successful in preventing issues from happening and really quickly being able to target needs and connect them with the, the most effective supports possible. So I think having that a multi-tiered system of support, a positive behavior framework is absolutely essential and being able to really preventatively go in and say, this is what we're going to do to make sure all kids get this type of support. And this is what our, our groups are, what our supports are at this tier two level. And for our kids that really need individualized instruction, this is what it looks like. This is how you get referred. This is how we're monitoring progress. This is how often we're checking data. This is what our discussions look like in determining whether kids need more or less support. And the more clearly articulated those procedures are to our staff, to our students, to our families, the more we are responding thoughtfully and intentionally rather than reacting out of a a panic state of, shoot, we need to do something for this kid because things are falling apart. So um, proactively establishing those support systems is huge. And then just being consistent and positive with um, kind of those expectations on our campus and establishing a culture where we want to be as educators, we want you to like coming to your job every day. That would be ideal, right? Is we, I, we show up and we like the place that we work. We feel accepted there. We feel valuable there. We feel like what we're doing has meaning and it's recognized. Uh, we want our kids to feel the same way when they come on campus. They want We want our kids to feel like they're a part of something special, that they are uniquely seen and known, um, and that there's somebody at at every campus that cares about every single student. Um, So those connections are really important. So just being really intentional about connection with our kids. We wanna keep kids in in classrooms as much as possible. So I'd really challenge teachers this year to think about those discipline situations and understand that behavior is communication. It's not just defiance or insubordination. Um, those behaviors are communicating something, um, and it's not always personal. So how do we think about what these kids need, what they're feeling, what's going on in their world that's causing them to think that this is the best way to get their need met and really establish a connection and relationship with them so we can speak into those moments in a way that gets them to... I don't know, be our ally and work with us rather than against us. So anything that's restorative in nature, when we're talking about discipline, what's a way that we can keep and maintain relationships rather than saying, you broke this rule, you're out. How do we say, even though you broke this rule, I want you in, how can we work together to keep you here, Um, keep you in this space and help you, you know, sever any of those relationships that may be broken because of that choice that was made. So restorative practices are huge, intentional connection, consistency and positive culture, and then just those support systems is what I would focus on um, for schools. And I'm not sure, Melissa, if you want to add anything to that. No, I I really feel like you hit everything. I love that. And I I just think, you know, really focusing on those relationships with students when they come back, because again, they've, they've missed, um, for a lot of them, they've missed a lot of, um, 
they haven't been in the classroom in a long time and, and haven't had the opportunity to, um, to work on relationships, to, you know, to, to build a relationship with a supportive adult um, outside of their family or their home for, um, gosh, how long how, has it been? A long time, right? Um, and so, yeah, really, really focusing, um, you know, that would be my challenge for teachers is really focusing on those relationships and really putting those relationships even over the, the academics um, initially. Um, working on, you know, we, we focus a lot on the mind in the classroom, um, but maybe taking the time to focus on the body and the spirit for the first, you know, few weeks of school and, and establishing some healthy routines and, and some strong relationships with students. So, um, so they know it's a safe place so that they know they can go to their teacher if they have concerns or if there's something going on or if they need someone to talk to. Um, rather than just, um, you know, knowing that their teacher is, is going to provide them with some solid academics. So I want to, I want to go back to, you know, Jade, I think you talked about something, you know, really important and, um, and I think those you're getting to kind of this, this, our kind of final conversation here, but, um, you know, it just, this might sound cliche, but it just, you know, in particular, this upcoming school year seems like, you know, positive relationships are really going to be the key and kind of a classroom community that is that is inviting and that is uh, kind of focused on love is really going to be the most important thing. Um, but I think, Jade, you hit on like this real kind of traditional kind of uh, mindset of like, like, um, you know, the carrot and stick, right? Or you know, the kid kind of misbehaves. And I really love um, what was the, the little aphorism you said that, you know, kind of um, behavior is communication, right? Was it, did I get that right? Yeah. Yes. Um, yes, that, you got it right. Good uh, job. <laughs> I think that's a really, you know, kind of valuable way to, to see it. Um, you know, could it help a, help a classroom teacher kind of reframe like a real, you know, kind of traditional um, situation where, a, a, you know, a student is like, you know, has fallen asleep at their desk three days in a row. And instead of like sending that kid to the SRC um, or giving detention or whatever, what what is a, you know, what's a restorative kind of practice? Well, there's something that I want to address even before that, because restorative practices really are most effective when you have a relationship with that student outside of their behavior. And that's something that I always stress to teachers because teachers are usually pretty good about commenting on behavior one way or the other, right? Like, oh, thank you for following instructions or, hey, I need you to get your book out. I remember I've told you this before, right? So whether a student is acting in a way we want or whether they don't want, that's usually a great point of engagement for teachers and students. However, our, our students are so much more than the behaviors that they exhibit <laughs> in our classroom um, surrounding compliance. You know, they're their own people that have their own, they have their favorite color, their favorite thing they like to do for breakfast, um, their own family dynamics, their own hobbies and interests, their own sports teams that they root for. And I think it's really important that first, students know that we care about them regardless of how they act or what their behavior is because they are valuable human beings in our, in our classes and in our schools. So I would say that 
your restorative conversations and practices aren't going to get very far if your students don't feel cared about as a person, because then they just shut down. It's especially the, the example that you gave. If they're sleeping at their desk for three days, then, and they don't feel like you care about them, then why would they then say, oh, let me engage in this heart to heart with you, right? So we have to get that investment on the front end and be genuine about it because our kids these days are really good at calling out, you know, fake because they see fake all the time. Mm -hmm. And what they really want is a genuine connection. So I would say before we look at restorative practices, we need to make sure that relationship is genuine and established. An example of that though would be, uh, you know, a private conversation saying, you know, do you mind staying after a little bit or getting everybody working on something and then going over and being discreet because kids don't really like being called out for those types of behaviors, but saying like, Hey, I'm noticing like you're, you're not really super engaged. And I know you have a lot of ideas. I would love to hear them. You know, how, how can I help you? Um, you know, is it just that we need to, is it boring for you? Can we talk about something else? You know what I mean? Try to just engage in that conversation from a supportive stance and saying, this is what your behavior is showing me. This is what I'm, I'm looking at. Like, this is how I'm interpreting your behavior. It seems like you're tired or it seems like you're not motivated, or it seems like you're frustrated, whatever it is. Do you feel like that's accurate or how can you help me understand that better? And how can I support you? So, um, rather than just, you know, Hey, you need to get up because we don't act like that in my classroom or you're out of here. Right. That doesn't leave room for that dialogue. So I think as much conversation and student voices you can bring into those conversations, the better, because it helps us understand what is a student trying to communicate. And just when we talk about behavior being communication, I'll give you my little cheat sheet is that behavior usually serves one of two functions, either to get something or to get out of something. So either they want your attention, they want the iPad or the Play-Doh, they want recess, or they want out of something. They want out of the work, they want out of the classroom, they want away from their peer attention. So usually if you can just think, what is the student trying to get or not or get out of with by demonstrating this behavior, then it can help you think creatively as a teacher as to what's a better way? What can I offer instead of putting your head down and checking out? What can I offer instead to give them a break from work? You know, maybe I can send them on an errand and have them come back re-engaged. Um, or maybe I can have them do a reduced amount of work and then be able to take a break. So helping to understand what is a student trying to get or get out of can help me not take it personally, understand what they're communicating, and then come up with an alternative that's more helpful. Wow, I, I think that's just a wonderful way to kind of frame that. So uh, thank you. Yeah, Melissa, any, that was pretty good. Yeah. I, that was very good. Yeah, I, I love that. And, and I'm glad that she went into because that's exactly what I was thinking with the with the behavior, it's to gain something or to avoid something. So, you know, when teachers look at it that way, um, I, again, I think communication, um, as Jade said, communication is the key. And once you have a relationship with a student, it's so much easier to communicate with them. And they're so much more willing to communicate with you about what's going on. Um, you know, if, if they know that you care about them as, you know, that you care about them as a person, um, and not just in learning, you know, the spelling words of the week or, or writing the essay that they have to write. Um, but if they know that they're cared for, they're, they're going to be more open um, and more willing to, to share that information with you. And so, yeah, if you have a student who's fallen asleep and, and you, ask, you ask them privately, what, what's going on? If they trust you, if, if you've established that relationship with you, then 
you know, they may go into a 20 minute spiel about how, you know, they've been up late the last three nights because they've had to take care of younger siblings because mom is working nights now. And, the, you know, the, it, her third job starts at eight o'clock and she works overnight. And so they're busy with siblings and making sure homework's done and dinner and bedtimes. And, you know, by the time they get to their own stuff, it's 11 o'clock and when the, their alarm goes off at six o'clock to get everybody up and ready for school, they're still exhausted. They're not going to tell you that if they don't think that you care and, and if they don't think that you will listen. So the relationships and the communication are really going to be um, key this year to, to students and, and to their success and um, to our success as educators. All right. So, um, you know, we're, we're just about out of time here, but, you know, I think, Melissa, there in that answer, you brought up, you know, kind of a, a tension here for a lot of us going into this school year. You know, a lot of the conversation, right, is about this, this you know, new term called learning loss, right, and this kind of, you know, great panic that, you know, our kids have lost out so much academically. Yeah. Um, and the tension, right, is between, hey, we know that they have social emotional needs, but they also have academic needs. You know, so how do we how do we kind of uh, prioritize that social emotional? How do we how do we how do we pull this off? Oh, wow. Um, let me get my magic wand out and we'll wave it and everything will be all done. No, I wish that were the case. You know, again, I think we work with an amazing I mean, I work with an amazing group of educators who genuinely care about students um, and not just their learning and making sure that they learn. They genuinely care for their students as people, as individuals. And that's really what it comes down to. Um, you know, as, as educators, I think, I think we're going to have to, um, you know, I, I think we're going to have to take a hit to our ego and accept that, yeah, you know, maybe some students, maybe there has been some, some learning loss, maybe some considerable learning loss in some students. Um, and as educators, we will need to realize that we can't take that personally. There were factors, there were things that were out of everybody's control over the last 18 months and nothing that we could have done to make things any different. And so, yes, when we see those students who are struggling academically, who are struggling socially, who are struggling emotionally, um, we as educators can't take that personally. We, we didn't do that, but we can work with those students moving forward to help them, to help them um, and to help them start building back some of those skills that, um, that they are missing. Is it all going to happen in the course of a school year? Mm, probably not. And again, as educators, we can't take that personally. If by Thanksgiving, if by Christmas, we don't see the growth in students that, that maybe we expect to see or that we've seen in years past. Again, that's nothing as, as educators that we've done wrong. Um, that just says that there have, you know, there have been some circumstances that nobody could have foreseen and that, you know, nobody can, nobody can work around. Um, so when students come in, we need to accept them. You know, we, we need to accept. It's about acceptance, accepting students where they are, meeting them where they are academically, meeting them where they are socially, meeting them where they are emotionally and working from there. Um, so, again, if you see that a student's behind in any of those areas, 
um, working with them from where they are and, and trying to see some growth. Um, and some, you know, sometimes that growth is going to be small. Some, you know, it, maybe that's going to come, um, in smaller increments that we're used to. Um, but I think it's also important to notice all of those gains as well. So students are, um, you know, and applauding students for those gains, because again, the last 18, 18 months have been trying for all of us. And so, you know, maybe it's, it's having an elementary student with um, minimal coping skills who every, you know, with every little thing that goes wrong starts, you know, tears start welling up in their eyes. Well, maybe two weeks into school, you know, it's, it's not tears, but, but they have a sad face. That's growth. And it's super important to, to notice and, and to recognize um, and to, to remind students of those accomplishments as well. Like Jade said, I, you know, telling students, I am so proud of you. You know, if you, two weeks ago, you would have started crying if I had said something, but now I, I see that you're still upset, but you're handling it so much better than you were before. Um, and acknowledging those accomplishments that are, that our students are making. Um, but also acknowledging those accomplishments that, um, within ourselves as well, you know, the, the things that we're doing as educators to, um, to help students. Jake. Yeah, I think that all of everything that Melissa said is right on. And the only thing that I would add to that, because I did a professional development series this summer with a bunch of teachers who actually recognized and saw the need to prioritize mental health, which was so encouraging to me. And one of the things that they said, though, is, can you make sure admin hears this message? <laughs> because <laughs> we're feeling pressure from them to make sure, like, our PLCs are all about academic learning and how are we teaching this reading skill and this yeah. new math curriculum. And it just feels like there's so much pressure to make up that, you know, learning deficit that they can't prioritize the mental health, social, emotional behavior needs that they see every day in their classes. Teachers, teachers know. They're like, I'm not going to be able to teach about fractions if my kids aren't even able to like take care of basic coping skills and regulation abilities, right? So um, our teachers know that the first thing that needs to be met is basic needs before we can do those higher order things. But I think admin needs to really model how important that is. And even if it's just a verbal acknowledgement of, hey, I give you permission this year to not make the academic growth that maybe you want to make or that I would want you to make. And instead, I really want us as a school to make sure that our kids feel happy to be here, that they feel safe when they're here. So um, administrators intentionally asking questions at staff meetings or at PLCs, putting a, a question on the PLC agenda every week that says, what are you doing as a grade level or as a, um, a department to address mental health needs of your students. And that way it kind of just almost gives the teachers permission to engage in that kind of discussion and put that at the forefront because the administrator is saying, hey, we want to prioritize this. I see this as a need and let's make this happen. Let's not forget this in the middle of the, you know, the academic goals. So I think it's really important. This is a time where administrators can really show their support of teachers by saying like, hey, we know that kids are going to be coming back with a lot more maybe internal <laughs> 
issues that they're either, you know, keeping inside or, you know, externalizing those behaviors and letting it show on the outside. But regardless, we know kids are coming back with some, some needs and we need to be able to meet them in those areas of need. Um, so I think that's a, a great way for admin to show their support this year. All right. Well, oh my gosh, this was just, this was so good. I think it's so valuable. I think, uh, you know, practitioners, um, you know, out there, you know, trying to wade in these kind of, you know, these uh, kind of swift waters that we're all in right now. I think this, a lot of, you know, really good stuff here that's going to have a real practical effect on their practice. Um, And I really appreciate uh, the two of you taking your time to to talk about this. Um, and I hope you both have great, great years. Um, and, uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure being here. It was. Thank you for having us. We appreciate the opportunity to, to share our passions for mental health and, and students wellbeing with, um, with the rest of, of ACE and the Clovis community. Yeah. Nice. Um, and, and I am encouraged. I think just, you know, um, in general, I think teachers, you know, obviously uh, those of you kind of in the mental health world, I think administrators, I think everybody understands that <laughs> right now our, the social emotional well-being of everybody takes precedence uh, over the academic needs. So thank you. Agreed. Thank you. Thanks again to Jade and Melissa. There's a lot of really valuable advice there, and our students are lucky to have these two advocates. I think also, though, there's a message in there for for us adults. You know, first, uh, we need to take care of ourselves. You know, you can't serve kids if you are in need. Second, there's an imperative to take care of each other. We might not agree on a lot of things, things about the the pandemic, masking, vaccinations. We, uh, there's definite disagreement about unionization and a whole, a whole lot of things out there uh, on which we can disagree. Uh, and that's fine. And disagreement is actually a healthy and welcome part of the democratic conversation. But we shouldn't disagree on or what we should not disagree on is how to treat each other on the larger project of of human decency and human flourishing. And as we have these really important conversations this year, I think we really need to find ways to channel the better angels of our nature. We wish you all way more than luck as you open up this new school year. And as always, if you have any questions, if you need our support, or if you would like to join us, you can find us on the web at www.clovuseducators.org. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time on the Ace Pod.